0: I think, generationally, Canadians will have different ideas about the West African country of Morocco. If you're a member of the greatest generation, or perhaps even a baby boomer, when someone says, Morocco, you might think of the Oscar-winning motion picture, Casablanca. If you're a member of Generation X, you may think about wars and unrest in 1970s Morocco. Geopolitically. Morocco has seen its share of conflict over the centuries, particularly when it comes to Spain. And while that may be surprising to you, because Morocco is after all in Africa, it shouldn't be, since the Strait of Gibraltar connects North Africa with Europe with only a span of about 14.3 kilometers of water at its narrowest point. And while Morocco conjures city names of Marrakech, Casablanca, and Rabat, there's something else Morocco is known for that never occurred to me until I spoke with today's guest that there's some damn fine surfing to be had there. Join me as we meet up with a Canadian woman living in Mohammedia who's managed to make her life as much about riding a great wave as traveling and teaching on the expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Now, it took a few fits and starts for Emily Mattingsley and I to connect. Seems the internet in Morocco is less than reliable. She actually had to travel to Spain for us to be able to connect via Skype, and the irony is that even then, we didn't have the greatest connection. I apologize for the few audio glitches you'll hear in this episode, but the insight Emily shared about her Moroccan experience is well worth it even if it was a challenge to get her over the web.
1: It has been a long time coming, but to be completely honest, just the simple effort on our parts to arrange this has given you so much insight into Morocco already because things that seem to be very simple, for some reason, just require a lot of effort in (laughs) Morocco.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the internet is one of those things, right?
1: Yes, the internet is one of those things, and just... just. Things that require a lot of patience
0: are needed for sure. So so has that sort of been the hallmark of your Morocco experience so far?
1: Um, no, it hasn't been. But um, I think that the, one of the reasons why I really love Morocco and one of the reasons why I've had a really positive experience is because you have to just learn to go with the flow um, because you have to have a lot of patience like... Living there, I've noticed, requires a lot of patience and you can kind of choose to fight it and kind of choose to, to spend your whole time kind of trying to swim upstream and to exhaust yourself. Uh, or you can kind of just like lean back like all the Moroccans do, grab a mint tea, float down the river, watch the day go by, and and your experience will be so much more pleasant if you just, if you just embrace your patience and practice some of those virtues.
0: That's, that sounds very zen. It sounds like you've learned yes, a lot.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've learned a lot
0: so let's let's start from the beginning because like first of all you're not actually in morocco right now
1: right now i'm not in morocco no i'm in spain
0: so you're are you visiting friends in spain
1: yeah i have a good girlfriend of mine who i met traveling actually in bali um who now lives in spain in tarifa which is just a 30 minute ferry ride from tangier which is the, the northern uh a northern city in morocco so just a 35 minute ferry 17 kilometers Uh, Across the water, so I decided just to come up here for a week off work.
0: That's cool. I mean, you know, it's funny because uh, Morocco is one of these North African countries and and for me when I think of Africa, I think God that's far from everything, but it's actually Mm -hmm. not
1: Yeah, yeah, it's actually not and one of the funniest questions I get living in Morocco is I tell people I live in Morocco and they go oh my goodness What is it like being a woman in Morocco? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm beside Spain, I'm not beside Saudi Arabia. Like, I'm not sure what, like, it's, that's one of the, that's one of the funniest questions that I think I'm asked is, what is it like to be a, like, what is it to be a woman in Morocco? I'm like, what do you mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hang on, I just have to amend my question list now. I think, well, I, so the reason that I wanted to ask the question, I think, is because it is an Islamic country in some ways, right? Yeah. It's so yes. there's there's that piece of culture that I think we're taught in North America is is not kind to women,
1: yeah, yeah. and um I actually it's it's very interesting because, you know, we have that idea of Islamic culture and we have that stereotype. However, one thing that I think is really funny is, I think it was two or three years ago I spent three months in Indonesia alone by myself traveling and no one asked me that question, yet Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world and out of the three months I spent in Indonesia, one month I spent in northern Sumatra and northern Sumatra is one of the most, if not the most conservative Muslim, one of the most conservative uh, Muslim regions of the world and is actually ruled by Law, which is the same rules that are uh, actually in Saudi Arabia, yet nobody asked me, um, about that experience of Indonesia because I think that the thoughts we have on Islam are really just a Arabic prejudice right yeah. they're really just an Arabic prejudice because no one ever brings up Indonesia in in their arguments because it wouldn't support it wouldn't support the the argument they want to make about Islam
0: plus right? I, I, I agree and I think that you know Canadians and I'm speaking for myself I think are uh, pretty ignorant about what happens in Indonesia
1: I must admit that in my time in Indonesia I was much more of a tourist in Indonesia I was staying at guest houses with Australians and British people and that's very different than living in Morocco which is which in which I'm a resident in which I uh, i am surrounded by Moroccans so as much as I sit here and I go well you know Indonesia the same experience as local women. And that is uh, true in Morocco as well. That as a foreign woman, I'm allowed to get away with things. And I'm allowed to do things that a Moroccan woman would not be allowed to do.
0: Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit. But before we do that, I'd like to I'd like to talk a little bit about what it is that brought you to Morocco. Because I mean, it's for me, in my experience, talking to expats, it's probably not the first place you'd think that someone would want to go and live uh, for a period Mm -hmm. of time.
1: Yeah, so I am a teacher uh, and I know that you've interviewed quite a few teachers on your podcast because teaching is such an awesome traveling career. And that was one of the reasons why um, I decided to become a teacher in the first place was because I wanted a career that was really flexible and a career that had a lot of opportunity to work internationally. So as a qualified Canadian school teacher, I decided last, I don't know, about a year and a half ago that It was just a good time in my life to to take a year off and to go do a year abroad and there was three main things I wanted in the country I wanted to move to the first thing I wanted was a really affordable country to live in a very cheap country because uh, the wage of a teacher doesn't always vary so much country to country but the the living expenses really vary so you know if you move to Australia you're gonna be living paycheck to paycheck if you're a teacher in Sydney. But if you move to uh, you know, Ecuador, you're gonna be able to live a super comfortable lifestyle. So that was the first thing. I wanted a really affordable, inexpensive lifestyle. And the second thing I wanted was a place where there was uh, really good surfing. And not surfing an hour away from me, not surfing three hours away from me, I wanted somewhere where I could go surfing after work or before work <laughs> and then pop back into Mark quizzes later. So I wanted to live beside the surf. Okay. And the third thing I wanted uh, the third thing I wanted was a non-English speaking country. I wanted a country where I could either go practice my French because I was a French immersion student in Canada growing up um, or learn a third language, learn another foreign third language. and Morocco was all of those things. Morocco is cheap to live in, uh, amazing surfing all across the whole uh, country as well as I can actually both practice my French and um learn arabic yeah so it's been great
0: so okay i mean you are from edmonton right yes and so what is it that like uh, a a prairie woman like yourself would want to do with surfing <laughs> tell me about that uh,
1: when i was 22 years old i moved to new zealand and did the whole uh i had a van and i traveled around in a van for 3 months um, and that was the first time I ever tried to learn to surf was in New Zealand and I kind of I lived in Queenstown in uh, New Zealand Which is like the uh, it's like the whistler of the southern hemisphere so if you go to whistler here, it's full of Australians and and uh, That are all coming to Canada to be in the snow So I lived in Queenstown, which was full of Canadians and Americans from like Colorado um, and uh so sorry, now I'm losing my train of thought. So yeah, I was living in New Zealand. New, Zeal- new Zealand has amazing surfing. So I took up surfing there and uh, fell absolutely in love with it. I just fell in love with surfing and it uh, slightly overtook my life. And suddenly all of my life decisions started to revolve around this new sport that I had discovered. So that is why I eventually, yeah, that's that's what led me into surfing.
0: Cool. Okay. So uh, how much surfing are you doing in a, in a given day in your, your life in Morocco?
1: Uh, I managed to surf about twice a week. So two, uh, and keep in mind, I'm working, so I'm still, I'm working. Uh, so in a typical work week, I managed to get to the beach to have a, a good surf about two times a week. Um, I have some time off coming up with the summer, so I'm hoping that will increase to at least four times a week. And, and like in December when I had two weeks off work, I went down to Southern Morocco for a little vacation, met up with a friend and surfed every day for two weeks on that time off. Uh, so that's yeah, two times a week and I'm pretty happy with that. I'm happy that it's, that it's, uh, you know, when I was in Indonesia, I took that time to just go surfing for three months and that was an amazing, awesome experience. However, I wanted to not just save up money in Edmonton and go somewhere for a month again and come back and save up money and go somewhere for two months and come back. I wanted to, this time around, I wanted to build a life yeah. uh, rather than take a vacation.
0: Fair enough. And, and how long yeah. have you been living in Morocco?
1: So it's been about ten months now.
0: And so, tell me about some of the things about Morocco that uh, that are maybe unusual to Canadians who don't typically live abroad. Is there anything? Was there any culture shock when you uh, when you got settled there?
1: Lots of culture shock. The first one and the biggest one and the worst one is actually related to being a woman. And um, I want to make it very clear that the issues that Morocco faces with that are not related to Islam, but related to Moroccan culture. And that is, uh, they have a really large problem with street harassment. So lots of, lots of catcalling, um, lots of catcalling, lots of verbal harassment, um, sexual harassment, I've been sexually, like I've been physically sexually harassed, I don't even know, maybe three or four times in 10 months as well. Man. Um, I've had rocks thrown at me a couple times, kind of elephant in the room, and it's this issue that they have regarding street harassment towards women.
0: So I, I'm not entirely clear as to why you would be randomly harassed, other than the fact that you're a woman. Like, is the attitude just that women are objects to, to some of the men in Morocco?
1: In Morocco, it seems that private spaces, the home um, is are very female-dominated spaces, and in Morocco, Public spaces are male spaces. So I find that when you're a woman existing by herself and navigating by herself through public spaces, it really comes back to the fact that the men are reminding you that this is their space. And they're letting you know that you're in their zone and you're in their space. And this is a space in which they hold power. Wow. So if you go into a home, it's going to be a very matriarchal power that is running the home yet in the streets and, and in public spaces are male spaces in Morocco that is why many women choose to walk with their boyfriend or their husband or a brother or at least within groups of women. Um, and if you are a woman walking by herself, then you will get harassed. And the reason why I say it's not related to sexuality is because it's, it happens to – I will walk down the street in a tank top and short shorts.
0: Yeah.
1: And I will walk down the street in a jaleba, which is a traditional, uh, very modest Moroccan garment. I'll walk down the street in a jaleba with a scarf on, not a hijab, but I'll just like wrap a scarf around my head in more of a fashiony boho way, and I'll still uh, the the harassment is is slightly more if I'm showing a little bit more skin, but it's the same vibe, it's the same tone, which is which is you're walking by my cafe, you're walking by my street corner where I'm hanging out, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I want to say to you.
0: Okay, so how do uh, when you talk to Moroccan women about this? How do they feel about it? Is it just something that's accepted in in their culture?
1: Uh, yes and no. Once again, uh, something that's something about Morocco that I love, uh, but is interesting is it's it's extremely hard to make a general statement about Moroccans because their culture is like an endless onion of layers and diversity and different opinions depending on your background, your education, your culture, all of these things, uh, and so. Um, the majority of Moroccan women that I ask about it, they kind of shrug their shoulders and they say, ah, just ignore it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the that's the most common response you get is a shrug of the shoulders and say, oh, of course, but just keep walking, just ignore it. And that's how most of them choose to deal with it.
0: Interesting. And okay, so obviously there are some cultural differences uh, <laughs> between Canada and Morocco. This sort of street harassment sounds like a big one. Are there any others that, that come to mind that you were just sort of shocked by
1: yeah and i'll 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 shock you by some of the positive ones morocco moroccans um are extremely welcoming they are extremely giving there is there is no sense of like what mine is mine like everything is everybody's um they are so giving with anything you need um anything you want that uh, there is such a strong sense of community, and such a strong sense of family, and such a strong sense of togetherness, where there's not so much importance on the individual. Um, and so it was really, I've really loved being in Morocco for that, this really strong sense of support that I get both from my neighbors, and my coworkers and my friends as well as just from strangers. Strangers are, are extremely hospitable and are willing to help you with whatever you need and are just overall really friendly people. So that's been a, that's been a really wonderful experience to live in a, a very community-focused society.
0: And it sounds like even, you know, I mean, I think that Canadians consider themselves to be friendly, but what you're describing goes over and above that friendliness. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's really a community-minded uh, culture
1: yeah yeah yeah, very community minded culture. and I actually just had a friend of mine who was living here in Morocco for about three years on and off and she married a Moroccan and they have a beautiful baby now and uh, they just went to the United States to visit her family and she's gone back for like quick vacations before um, to visit for a week, two weeks around Christmas, but she's just gone back now with with her family to see if uh, they want to stay now in the United States long term. And it was she's kind of been flabbergasted by returning there and kind of realizing um, how much more selfish people can be in North America related to material objects as well as their space and as well as their time. Because three years in Morocco, she became so accustomed to uh, a system in which you live with your family from birth to death. You're going to transition from this generation to that generation. I'm happy to host me and my husband for two months indefinitely in. In their small home, right? Whereas in Morocco, you'll have 12 people living in a two-bedroom apartment, and that is a middle-class family. Wow, it's a middle-class family, not a poor family not a poor family, not a. We're so poor we can't get a bigger apartment. But uh, why? Why would we not live together? They say it's not good to be alone. When they hear that I live all by myself, they go, "Oh, that's not good. Do like, do you want it? Do you want to come live with us? It's not good (laughs) that you live by yourself. It's not good to be alone." And they worry about me being
0: alone. Really yeah but are you still enjoying your your experience living alone then
1: yes I yes I'm very much enjoying my experience I actually have a really awesome setup where um, I, I was living with an American girl for my first few months uh, who was another teacher I worked with but then her contract was done she decided to go back to the States so I was alone in our apartment and my first apartment in Morocco was just like an apartment you would have in in Edmonton two bedrooms Western style bathroom Uh, kitchen, living room, so balconies, exactly the same, Um, and that was great, however, I was just looking for something different, I wanted to, you know, have a place by the beach, uh, somewhere that felt actually different, and so just through a friend of a friend of a friend, there was a, a family who lived beside the beach, and they have a really large, gorgeous villa, and within their villa, within their property, they have a little guest house, and so now I rent a guest house, so I actually live... Um, I actually share this, this lot of land with a Moroccan family and I rent their guest house and it's kind of this awesome combination of my own space in which it's completely private, completely mine. I pay them rent, uh, but I actually do English lessons for their children for a reduced price of rent. And it's great because they come and they say hi, they drop off way too much food for me all the time. <laughs> um, and it's been really nice actually to have my own space. But, but feel a bit like I'm in, uh, like I'm a bit in a homestay where I am really connected to this Moroccan family who make me feel very welcome
0: that's cool um, uh, so yeah. I do want to talk about the food because uh, because you know I think that every Canadian has eaten something that has the word Moroccan in it like Moroccan yes. curry something Tell me about Moroccan the food slices. in Morocco is it amazing the
1: food, the food is incredible the food. All the hype you've ever heard, it lives up. The food is incredible. Uh, I don't even know what to say. And this is the best part, Adam. The best part is I eat all the delicious food I want, I consume all the bread, uh, <laughs> and I have lost. I have lost a lot of weight.
0: Oh, that is so unfair.
1: I know. I have lost a lot of weight. I've lost about 20 pounds. Uh, without any real effort and it wasn't that I went thinking oh I really got to shed this weight and and all this stuff it was that it was that by living just a much more passively active lifestyle right like walking um, moving carrying your groceries just living this much more active lifestyle I think combined with the heat just how much you sweat (laughs) and um, and just the freshness of the food so it's been really interesting being here because The more I travel, the more I realize that the way that we in Canada define health and the way we define healthy eating is really subjective. It's just the way that we've decided to define it because you'll be in a country like Morocco where what do they do? Copious amounts of sugar, uh, uh, just processed white sugar, so much of it in the desserts, in the tea, in the coffee, a little tablespoon of uh, sugar thrown into most of the savory dishes you want as well uh, bread with every meal. You traditionally don't eat with forks and knives. You traditionally actually eat with your bread and your bread is your fork. So you're eating your fork and you're eating a a slice of bread every time you take a bite, um, as well as lots of oils. And these are things that we in our society have, have deemed to be extremely unhealthy. And yet, and yet you don't see this very unhealthy, obese population. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of see that health is such a bigger framework. And so within the context of their lifestyle and and the bigger context of their country, the way they eat is perfectly fine and perfectly healthy. And I am loving all the bread and oil. I'm loving every minute of it.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. You are so lucky. (laughs) Is there. Yeah. What about the things that uh, you maybe miss about Canada? Uh, Do you get to see friends and family very often? Uh, And Mm -hmm. what are, you know, some of the maybe... I don't know, products or creature comforts that that you can't get enough of from Canada?
1: Internet. Reliable, good internet. That's why we had to do this from Spain, because in Morocco, all VoIP services are currently blocked and have been blocked on and off since about January. So that's been really frustrating, because before that block, I would Skype with someone back home about two or three times a week. So me and my mom had a really good Skype at least twice a month. My sister. Every five days, once a week, would have a good hour-long Skype and managing to keep in touch with best friends like that. And as we know, Skype is just a total blessing when it comes to feeling like you're still connected. So much different than just a phone call or a message. So that was really great. But then ever since um, the VoIP um, blocks came in, which, by the way, is technically illegal, um, but it's still being done anyways. Um, It's been a lot more challenging to keep in touch with people. So I, I figured out ways, just WhatsApp, little voice memos here and there to friends. Um, so that's been a big, uh, a big annoyance is not having, um, not having that opportunity to, to talk with friends as much. Other things I miss, I miss, well, like we said about the street harassment, sometimes I just miss like the peacefulness yeah. of existing as a woman independently in a way I never even noticed before. Yeah. And that's why traveling is a really wonderful, beautiful thing because it just illuminates so much that you never, like that you didn't even know you didn't know. And so even when I go up to Europe for three days or five days, every couple months, I, I, I find like I take a big breath in and a big breath out and I feel a bit of a relief just as far as like my ability to, to just feel a little bit safer. And I hate saying that because I hate to perpetuate, the stereotype about, about Morocco, but yeah. that's a true thing. That's a thing that they struggle with.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh,
1: yeah. And besides that, yeah, there's little things, little, f- I can't think, little food sometimes, but nothing too major. You can get a lot that you need in Morocco. You have Carrefour, which is a, a French uh, grocery chain. Uh, mostly everything I want as far as foods and products, I can get in Morocco. No problem.
0: Yeah. Are, do yeah. you find that uh, being, it, Morocco being a country where French is spoken, like there's, and even if it wasn't maybe, uh, is there, are there a lot of English speakers there or are you having to use a lot of your French?
1: I, I live in a place called Mohamedia, which is a, a, a city of about 100,000 people in the middle of Casablanca and Rabat. So in Mohammedia there is not a lot of English speakers. In Mohammedia there is not so many other foreigners and immigrants and expats. It's mostly a Moroccan community. There is actually a large community in Mohammedia of uh, French people who all kind of live down the beach and they have their summer home. And Mohammedia is the kind of place where people will go into Casablanca, into the big city, and that's where their job will be. But they've chosen that they would rather live in, like, the small... Uh, coastal beach town rather than the large hustle bustle massive you know three to four million people that are that are living on top of each other in Casablanca so there's a large French community but I haven't met many of them they're just not really a part of the the city that I've tapped into um and uh not so many English speakers the only time I speak English is when I teach English (laughs) the rest of my life is is French yeah yeah, 90, 80, 90 percent of the time I speak French, 10 percent I speak English. But I've made a large effort to learn Arabic and that's coming along pretty nicely. And so I my French is actually getting a little bit funny because Darija, which is the Moroccan dialect of Arabic, which is pretty unique from classical Arabic, is basically if you take classical Arabic and then you infuse it with uh, French and Spanish and Amazir, and Amazir is uh, the aboriginal people of Morocco before the Arabs arrived. Um, uh, Darija, which is the Moroccan dialect, is just this really interesting fuse of all these different languages, Um, and so it's actually entered my French. So if I, I never say we anymore, I never say we for yes, I say uh, which is yes in Moroccan, Uh. Uh So even when I'm speaking, uh, it's a really passive sound, uh is, I never say yes, and I never say "oh, pas un problème, pas si mushkil Like if I know the word in in Moroccan, then it has replaced that French word. It has just become my French
0: instead of the Arabic. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're you've become multilingual.
1: Yeah, and well, the Moroccans are as well. Like it's you. I have yet to meet I have yet to meet a Moroccan that speaks less than two languages um, and two languages fluently. It is it is it is extremely typical, extremely common. Like the basis is to speak three to five languages and to speak it well. Um, the only time you'll speak someone who you know speaks one or two languages, they'll speak either Berber or Amazigh. I should say Amazigh instead. Amazir, which is the, like I said, the Amazigh actually translate into free noble people, I believe, which no. is the aboriginal people no. of Morocco. Uh, so if you, if you go up into the high Atlas Mountains and you meet people that have yet to see like a large civilized, uh, large civilized city, they'll only speak Amazigh, or you might speak the occasional Moroccan that only speaks Darija, only speaks Arabic. But for the most part, people will speak at least Darija and French, at least Darija and Spanish uh, at least Darija, Berber and English. So three to five languages is normal, is normal in this country. And it's, I love it. It's great.
0: That's cool. Now you, you, you're obviously very well traveled and you've been in Morocco for 10 months. Do do you have a plan? Are you going to spend more time in Morocco? Do you want to explore other countries? What do you think is going to happen in the future?
1: All right. Well, listen up mom. Here's the answer to all your questions. Um, um, I have a bit of a plan. I I love Morocco. And I, to be honest, I could see myself living in Morocco long-term because of just the amazing positive experience I have here. And and I really love my lifestyle. And I, I think one of the reasons why I love Morocco is because it just jives really well with the person I am. And so that's why, you know, experiences can vary. My, I've known other people, met other people in Morocco that have not liked it very much. Um, and so My current plan is to stay in my current position until December at the end of next year. And after December, I plan to then go travel southern Morocco for one to two months because most of my traveling has been in northern Morocco since that's where I currently reside. So I'd love to go and actually see the desert and to check out all the amazing, beautiful stretches of land and beaches and the Sahara down south. So I'd love to take one to two months to do that. And then my plan after that is to come home maybe for three or four months and then see where it's a different country I could go teach abroad for September 2017 or return to Morocco if I can find a a different position in Morocco, actually, I would love to come back to a better job. I love my job right now, but it's not it's financially stable for one year, two years, but it's not it's not um, for me personally, it's not financially stable. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. It's not financially beneficial to stay long term.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. One yeah. more, uh, one more question before I let you go. Uh, it's Ramadan when while we're recording this uh, in Morocco and, and most Arabic countries. Are there are there any challenges uh, for for a uh, nice white lady from Canada trying mm-hmm. to adapt to uh, you know a month of fasting?
1: Mm-hmm. So once again, I think that like I think that the. I think that the experiences of people in Morocco can vary so much. And like I said at the very top, I've really made a big effort to kind of like not fight it and just to really join in in things, because I find you, you'll have such a more pleasant experience, such a more genuine experience, authentic. And, and then that's such a more positive experience, than kind of trying to retain your own culture and your own self and, and kind of stay in this bubble, like just pop the bubble and just, Go hang out with the Moroccans and, and do as the Moroccans do. And so with Ramadan, I had I've like was thinking about that for a while. Some people were telling me you're gonna hate it. There's nothing to do. Just get out of the country. Go to Spain. And some and then other people were saying no. Ramadan is the best time of the month. Everyone goes out and hangs out at the cafes until three four o'clock in the morning. You're gonna get a big feast. You're gonna get to eat with your neighbors every single night. And so um, it's only been, we're only, I was only there for two days and then I just am in Spain for only three days and then I'll head back. Um, But so far it was really enjoyable. You are not allowed to eat in public. Yeah. Um, And so yesterday I was waiting for the ferry and the ferry was delayed for two hours and I was starving. And I chose not to eat in public out of respect. I saw a couple groups of uh, tourists that were eating and nobody was saying anything to them. Nobody was bothering them. Uh, they can do as they please, but I just make a person, I just make a personal choice out of respect for their fasting, not to eat or drink in public. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm doing a child's version of a Ramadan just to be involved in the community, which is the children when they grow up, you can't, you cannot ask a 10 year old to fast uh, all day. Um, and so the children typically fast until noon and then have lunch. Um, and then we'll go have their their grand feast when they break fast when the sun sets with their family later on. And so when I head back on Sunday, I'm planning to do a child's Ramadan. I will fast until noon to be part of the experience. Um, and then maybe the second or third week, I'll try fasting until two or three p.m. Just to because it's probably the first and last time I'll ever be in a Muslim country for Ramadan. So why not? Why not try?
0: Yeah, agreed. Why
1: not? Yeah, be a part of that experience.
0: For sure. And I guess one last, last question for those expat or those Canadians or whomever might be listening to the show who are thinking about embarking upon their first expat experience. What kind of advice would you give to those people?
1: That's a really big question. Advice. I would tell them that there are more good people in the world than bad people and to take the risks and to talk to the strangers. um, Because although you can sometimes, although sometimes something bad may come out of that, the positive, unique, really life-changing experiences you have come from knowing the locals and knowing where you are and not just hanging out with the other nice white people that have decided to move to that country. Yeah, That would be my advice.
0: Great advice from a seasoned traveler. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself and let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart, and if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play, and make sure you leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.